and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Rose. And I'm your co-host, Laura Muñoz. And we are here today with Hannah Barnett. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you. So why don't we kick things off? Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about your research? Okay, so my name, of course, is Hannah, and I'm doing a PhD in Hispanic studies in the literature and culture stream. But my research topic is a little bit different outside of what people traditionally do in my department. So my research is studying the 1918 influenza, which is also called the Spanish flu, in images in Canadian newspapers uh, at the time of the pandemic. So from 1918 to 1920, and seeing how the Spanish name of the pandemic affected people and how this was perpetuated in the media at the time. That's very interesting. And so how far, uh, which kind of papers are you looking at and what have you found? So I found some similar studies done in different countries. So for example, I found a very similar one in Argentina about magazines. And then a lot of work has been done about how Spain handled this pandemic, but there aren't many about Canada. So I'm having to do the research myself, looking at newspapers, uh, which will be my big task for the next few years. Most of them are online, but some of them I'll have to go into the library, like the olden days, and search through it myself. That's exciting. It's always nice to go into an archives and look through, look through newspapers. Um, for those of us that may not know, would you mind uh, going into a little bit of detail about the Spanish flu? Yes, so it started in 1918, which was also during World War I, of course, and its origins are still debated today. We don't know exactly where it came from. Uh, The most common theory is that it started in a military base in the U.S., but since World War I was going on, every country cared so much about preserving their image and trying to look like the strongest country they could be. No one was reporting it. So since Spain was not in the war, they were neutral. They were the first ones to publicly announce to the world that, hey, something's killing a bunch of people. And then ever since then, it was just associated with Spain. And then it got many different names, such as the Spanish flu. That's so interesting. So it was never reported reported nowhere else before that? No. but there and, were... after, and after that, where did they report it? Um, I don't know the next countries that reported. I know for sure there were cases in Spain and then Portugal, France, for sure, because there was a lot of trains going back and forth, a lot of laborers. And then it was in the US and then anywhere where soldiers were going, right? Because soldiers were moving from Europe back to Canada, it would spread from where the soldiers came in on the trains and then go throughout the country as they got off at each station. So it just kind of went everywhere and it ended up killing 50 million people, they think. So you said that they, yeah, they, it was also reported in Argentina? Or, yeah. yeah, so how, how, did, how did it get there? Well, diseases just spread no matter what it seems with as people move. So uh, I don't know if there were Latin American soldiers involved in World War I or just people traveling. Diseases can just spread. They don't care about countries or borders. 
especially on boats. They were easily spread to different countries as people arrived. Yeah, so obviously, like you're saying, there was a lot of spread. Um, that means there's a lot of different countries involved. Are you doing uh, research on every single country where this was involved um, or where the media may have played a role in, I guess, censorship um, for, for a better word? Um, or are you focused on one specific country? Yeah, so for my major research paper, when I did the master's last year, I did kind of a comparison between Spain and Canada, but for the PhD dissertation, I'm just doing Canada. Interesting. And why why Canada? I mean, apart from the fact that, that we are currently in Canada, why Canada? Mm, because there aren't many studies already done in the Canadian context. I thought it'd be fun to fill a gap and it's easier to access resources about Canadian newspapers as opposed to other countries. And also maybe a tip for people picking their PhD topics. Sometimes picking something Canadian could help you get scholarships mm. that look for Canadian-based research. Excellent. So uh, now that we have the background a little bit, uh, can you tell us uh, how, how have you seen that the fact of this uh, pandemic having the word Spanish on it impacted how the media treated it and maybe how the media started seeing uh, Spain, for example? Yeah, so it's a little twofolded. One is that the word Spanish, although most Spanish people know like it is associated with Spain, the country, but to a lot of people, the word Spanish is anyone who speaks Spanish, including Latin America. So there's also stereotypes used about Latinos, of Spanish, Latin, Hispanic Latinos and stuff like that. But mostly what I find is a lot of images of matadors. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the matador is the pandemic, is the virus scaring people. And then sometimes they use the symbol of the matador that's killing the bull and then the bull is the virus. That's the biggest image from Spain that is used in these media representations. That's really interesting. Um, how do, are you deciding which newspapers you're looking at? And then within those newspapers, are you looking at kind of textual representations or like you said, look more like images? Yeah, so picking my corpus was the hardest part this year. And I decided on going at this point geographically. So I'm just trying to cover my bases, I guess, in the major regions of the country. So I have one from Vancouver to cover the West Coast, from the prairies, from Ontario, from Quebec, from the East Coast. So I'm trying to get a geographical coverage of the country. And then I'm going through them. So sometimes I can image search or I can word search for, so for example, just saying Spanish influenza, and I'm searching like that. But other times I'm looking up when there were bad outbreaks in certain cities, and then I'm just manually searching through those times. And yeah, that's how I'm searching so far. Interesting. So kind of any any references at all? Mm -hmm. I am. Oh, go ahead. I'm more on images for this as well. Even though my major research paper was textual and images, this one is still both, but it's more focused on visuals. Do you find that there was a lot of reporting being done and a lot of um, images being used 
at the time? I think maybe not as much in the in Canada as there was in the US. They seem to be there was a lot of famous cartoonists that seemed to be very trendy at the time. But in the Canadian context, I'm having to search for them myself. So I'm not a huge archival researcher. I'm not finding like a lot, but what I am finding is good. So now that you dig a little bit into this, I will be interested because I don't I don't really know how uh, how these research is usually done. So do you have to go into libraries or do you have like a public record online that you can go through and find whatever you want to? How does it work? How, how do you get your your data? Luckily, now more and more is online and universities are compiling databases. So Western has a lot of sources. There's also a really good public um, database out of UBC where they have all British Columbia newspapers that you can access. Google has a few. There are private websites and as well as I have a scholarship that gave me access to uh, the National Archives of Canada. So that's good. I don't think I'll have to go physically to any major newspaper, but the smaller ones tend to keep their their sources on uh, physically. So maybe, perhaps like if I want to do the London Free Press, I think I would have to go there and search through them. Are you finding as you're kind of going through these newspapers that there's any areas, and I guess by areas, I'll say provinces in Canada that weren't talking about the flu quite as much as others, or were there some that noticeably reported a lot more on it? I think the more populated an area is, seem to be the more cases and then the more stories, but that's precisely why I'm picking different regions. I want to see if in one province or one region, say in, in Quebec, it was, they never used the Spanish Association or things like that, right? So that's why I'm picking such a geographical areas. That's why I'm, that's why, yeah. <laughs> Did they use a different association in Quebec at all? I'm just curious, or was it just the flu? Yeah, like they did use la grippe espagnole, which was just the Spanish flu. Yeah. Interesting. And so far, uh, I was thinking if this, if you have uh, found any like relationships between the Spanish flu or how the media treated the Spanish flu, for example, and how the media treats a pandemic right now. Are there like any similarities that you have noticed? That's what I'm looking for. But at this point, I have not really found things like that. One of the most interesting things I found from that time was a Latino in the United States talking about how this association has like ruined his life and that it was another thing for him to hate Spain about, which was really interesting. So clearly from that, it seems it did affect people personally, but it is hard. I did seek to look at the consequences that it had on people, but unfortunately it has been a hundred years and mm -hmm. the people that did suffer from this are now past. So mm -hmm. I couldn't study directly what consequences this had. It's more of like a tertiary focus of my topic. And for this a specific example that you mentioned, how, how did it uh, ruin his life? Like, why, why did he say that? I think he was just ostracized from society 
because he was associated to be Spanish. So people were seen to be the carriers, the other, like people did not want to associate with them. So even just socially, and that can have such grave effects on a person, just being ostracized from society for a period of time for the fear of bringing something when in reality, anyone could have it. It didn't matter that he was Mexican. Are you planning on making um, any connections to the current pandemic within your research at all? Because I, I feel as though there's some kind of common themes popping up. Yes, of course. I think it'd be almost impossible to not mention it, considering how topical it is. And that's actually how I came up with my topic, by seeing what was happening with COVID-19 and the discrimination against Asians. And I thought, I don't know, this is very interesting. And then I looked into it more and I saw that this was actually a trend. COVID was not the first and unfortunately probably will not be the last disease that is associated with people. Um, Ebola was named after a region. A lot of diseases have been named after places. Uh, the Russian flu, the Hong Kong flu. So I looked at to find a Hispanic example and then I just ran from there. Are there any uh interesting facts that you have found about how uh, Canada handled that flu? I really like this one. I don't know if it was actually from the government, but they used hockey sticks to measure like social distancing of what it was back then. So they were saying like, you should be able to put- That's so Canadian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was cute. And I like, I'm a hockey fan. So I like seeing how the pandemic impacted the NHL and things like that at the time. Sports events were canceled. It's also really interesting for me to look into famous figures who died from this pandemic. My favorite painter did die from the pandemic. So every time it comes up in other sources, it's like, oh, that's what I'm studying. That's interesting. So how did, uh, like, uh, I'm interested now in which measures did they take in that time? to control that pandemic? What else other than this uh, distancing? They did promote the use of masks, which is ironic. There was fines if you weren't wearing masks. And then there were actually anti-mask leagues. So I know San Francisco had a big one. So there were anti-maskers back then. And also a big thing was spitting, like how people tend to just spit on the street that actually became like illegal at the time because they thought it was spreading the pandemic. Wow, that's crazy. I was actually, my next question for you was going to be whether there were anti-maskers. <laughs> there were. That's crazy. Wow, that's really fascinating. It must be a little bit surreal, I guess, doing this research going through a pandemic right now. Have you found that doing this during the pandemic has made it harder on your research or has it been easier on your research? I think a little bit of both because now when I research anything about it, there are there is new research being done, but often it is in relation to COVID-19 and comparing and contrasting. Um, but there definitely has been a new rebirth of pandemic literature, which is very topical and doesn't help people are more interested in my research because of COVID. Mm -hmm. Are you finding that this kind of rebirth of the literature is helpful to your research then? Are you finding there's a lot of um, useful information or is it 
kind of stuff that you already know um, and you were doing your own rebirth of, of the research. Yeah, a lot of it is what did we learn from the Spanish flu or comparing them? And there's only so much that can be repeated in different articles. So, but I do find it fascinating. And it, sometimes when I do think of them in comparison, it's like a hopeful reminder that the Spanish flu ended, mm-hmm. right? So it gives me that hope that eventually this will end too. Mm-hmm. How long did it last? Uh, about two years, one and a half to two years. Some people say it ended in 1919, but then some people say it ended in 1920. Okay. And how do they determine that it ended? <laughs> Because exactly. I, I saw that it's H1N1, so mm-hmm. it's still a circulating a virus in population, but I guess the pandemic, like people were not dying as much anymore. Exactly. Or how do, yeah, how do they like, where, where do they say, okay, it's over? <laughs> Yeah, I think I am taking a course to learn more about the science aspect of pandemics. And I'm guessing it just when case levels decreased to a certain point, or perhaps it became endemic in certain regions, then like more diseases come along and become the focus. And then the Great Depression, like there was a lot of things happening at the same time. And Yeah, it's still a curse, which is scary, considering how deadly it was. But we're lucky to have more public health measures, tracking the cases now. So I don't think it'll be a big concern. And, and do you know for how long did they continue with these like measurements, like distance and uh, mask wearing and not speeding on the streets? Like, do you know how much, uh, how long did it take for them to remove those restrictions? I don't know about the restrictions, but there were a lot of positive public health outcomes of this pandemic. So, for example, I believe the public health uh, ministry of Canada was created. Like, so health regulatory bodies were created as a result, and then they could continue measures from there. Interesting. So you're saying that there was kind of a discrepancy in the end of like when the end of this happened so what is your time period that you're using for your research I'm definitely going into 1920 for sure because there are like I think the fourth wave and some it just wasn't as significant right and just sometimes it happens that people got sick and then natural herd immunity was what they had to rely on at the time so less people were getting sick because they were already sick or they had immunity from previous outbreaks. Mm -hmm. Do you think that if you were to go past that kind of 1920 period that you would still find references to the flu in newspapers? Or was it really one of those things that kind of once it was out of out of everyone's minds, they weren't really reporting on it anymore? That is a chapter from my thesis that I have in mind of how did this affect the way the world or Canada viewed Spain for the rest of time until today. Mm -hmm. People still think that Spain has some responsibility for this pandemic, although I do not agree. Like how did this influence other historical events? So maybe during Franco's reign, 
or I know in the 90s, there was a big fishing dispute between Canada and Spain. So I do want to look in there to see if they maybe brought up this concept again. So for example, if I found something about like Spain's fish are infected, right? If people trying to spin yeah. the Spanish influenza in that way, weaponizing the fear, right? That's really interesting. Uh, that, that's very, very interesting because I was actually wonder how did this flu get uh, like get into politics? How did it affect it? I don't know, maybe elections or or like how people will decide how to vote or where to go, for example. Yeah, I think it was not as bad as it is today. And I think that's mostly because, I mean, social media and traditional media are very similar, but it's the constant access to the news that we have today. And you see what every politician is saying about COVID, but back then you didn't know every single politician's stance and people were just so scared and they didn't really need to blame each person for it, right? They were just in survival mode. Um, I am curious to kind of backtrack a little bit. Do you think that people, I mean, at least from what you've read in newspapers, really knew what was going on? I'm curious to know um, how much censorship was done in the newspapers kind of in that like 1918 period when the war was ending. Um, so how much people actually knew what was going on or if it was, um, I guess if it was being reported as something that was, you know, happening to other countries over there, like not, it's not here. I have found a lot of articles that say the alleged Spanish flu, like people were thinking that maybe people just had a sickness, which also happens today when people say COVID is just the flu. Um, some people would know more than others at the time. And I know it makes me think of a story from one of the books that I'm reading where a big deal was when soldiers were returning back to Canada and some people were scared when trains would come through their town and they would bring death with them. And some like important people were saying like, we need to stop this. But I think that everything was focused on the war, the wartime effort. That was the big concern. And oftentimes people call the 1918 influenza like just a footnote to World War I. But of course, the way I look at it is that just happened. It just happened during World War I. Like my research is all about the pandemic and the war comes second. But that was everyone's main focus, right? Is will their son return? Will their husband return? not as much as getting sick yeah definitely so then do you see like kind of an uptick I guess in the number of of articles or the amount of discussion about it after the war ended then so kind of I guess in like let's say 1919 kind of time did you see there was a lot more articles discussing it yeah so I, I think newspapers were absolutely bombarded with war stories it would be like the whole first two pages would be casualties or reports about or updates or maps of how the western front advanced or things like that so after that i mean what's going to happen in the news when covid ends because that's always a top story right and it had to be replaced with something yeah. so there were definitely more stories after the war ended yeah 
that must be so interesting like going through that transition like how did it they started reporting it and like which one are the first that like the first new that appear and how will they treat the flu like something that you should be cautious about and then it's something like it's really bad and then it's not as bad like I wonder how that changes over time how the news is reporting them throughout the pandemic because maybe that will give us an idea of how uh, media is going to treat this pandemic when we're getting closer to, to an end yeah definitely even looking back at things from March 2020 or December 2019 Uh, I, Elon Musk famously tweeted that the pandemic would be over by March, I think, of and he was, of course, wrong. So hindsight is always interesting to look back on. Definitely. And will they talk about it, like, with hope, like, saying this is going to end soon, we have to stay together? Like, did you find any kind of references to, like, we have to, like, this idea of we are... A group of people and we need to join and fight against the, this disease like did you find anything like that or was just more like a scientific approach to the flu i think of course with the war effort too everyone was much more collective and they thought that this was a, a collective issue that if everyone worked towards it would end but today we're much more individualistic absolutely um I do have to ask, just because I'm always curious when we do interviews, is there anything that you have found during your research that was like really unexpected, that you were not expecting this finding at all, or anything that kind of um, caught you off guard, or anything that was really interesting? I mean, even, I mean, you're going through so many newspapers, you must find some very interesting newspaper articles in there. So is there anything of note? That's a very good question. But What I think about most is when I am going through the newspapers, not related to the 1918 influenza, but there's two things, sometimes very problematic newspaper articles or just the words that were used to describe certain groups of people where it always shocks me. And then the second, which I'm always fascinated by is prices and advertisements of a beautiful dress for two dollars because at that time of course it was more but it's always a shock to see like furniture for such a low price I like looking yeah. at old ads yeah but we so can always having, dream <laughs> so you're having a very close idea of how cheap prices were back then yeah that's nice Well, Hannah, thank you so much. Unfortunately, we are just about out of time. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, if anyone wants to learn more about your research or get in touch with you, do you have a website or an email that they could reach out to you at? I would love for anyone to reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's just my name, Hannah Barnett. Or if you search Western, I'm sure it'll come up with that as well. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Rosemary Giles, and my co-host was Lara. We've been speaking with Hannah Barnett, and this episode was also produced by Lara. <laughs> If you'd like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at GradCast Radio. 
To listen to us, we're on Western Radio 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, select podcasts have been uploaded to YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thank you for listening and have a great night, everyone.